This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, Complexion's contemporary ballet co-founder Dwight Roden gears up for a season-opening world premiere for the New Orleans Ballet Association, joining forces with jazz visionary Chief Adjua, formerly Christian Scott. And we'll investigate health and wellness traditions of the state's Cajun, Creole, and Native American communities. But first... For more than three months, residents in South Plaquemines Parish didn't have safe drinking water. The cause? Intruding salt water from the Gulf of Mexico caused by two years of back-to-back drought. Approaching salt water spurred immediate precautions to protect drinking water in parishes further up the river. Meanwhile, in Plaquemines, the coastal desk Hallie Parker reports residents felt forgotten. Two weeks ago, Jamie Taylor says he pulled plates out of his dishwasher only to find they weren't totally clean. They were dotted with dark red spots. He was confused until... I started looking and took the top rack off. The salt water has eaten into and corroded the top rack to where rust is getting on my dishes. Like many other areas in southeast Louisiana, the Mississippi River serves as the main source of drinking water in Plaquemines Parish. When salt water from the Gulf of Mexico inundated the river near the parish's southern tip in late June, residents like Taylor lost clean water. After more than three months of water containing a lot of salt pumping through his house in Boothville, the damage had been done. Other neighbors, Taylor says, had it worse. If you drive up and down the road, you're going to see hot water heaters sitting by the road because people have had to replace them. Water heaters, dishwashers, ice makers, washing machines. Many have seen some sort of costly damage. The parish has asked the Biden administration to reimburse residents now that a federal disaster has been declared. But until then, residents are waiting for relief, just like they have been for almost four months. We're neglected. I mean, bar none. It's just that simple. I'll be right with you. I'm sitting with Taylor in a bar in Venice, the farthest you can drive south as you follow the Mississippi River. I asked Taylor and the bar's owner, Kristen Hart, if they feel the situation could have been avoided now that helps on the way. Probably so. Being that it's happening so quick now because um, Bell Chase is being affected, I think so, yes. All of a sudden it reaches New Orleans, it gets the attention of everybody. What about all of us down here? At its worst, parish leaders say the water flowing through people's pipes was 6.5 times saltier than the Environmental Protection Agency recommends. The area is still under a health advisory as precaution. And Hart says even before the saltwater wedge, their water system was ignored. Boyle water advisories are normal. She hasn't drank the water in years, but this summer has been worse. It's been like a roller coaster for the last few months. Like sometimes the water's super, super salty. Sometimes it's not as bad. Sometimes it is, smells like you're in a swimming pool. It's been a mess. Things have been less messy since the parish repaired the area's main water plant in Port Sulphur last month, boosting the parish's water capacity. It had been broken since Hurricane Ida in 2021. The Corps has also shipped in giant filters to remove the salt and barged in fresh water. I had an, an elderly gentleman. He called me. He said, my shower felt like I was sitting under my old Tom's sister. And he said, I didn't taste no salty. That's the cleanest shower I've had. Mitch Jurisich represents the area on the parish council. He agrees with Taylor and Hart. The parish wasn't prepared to deal with salt water, he says, even though the issue has happened before. This is definitely dealing with Mother Nature, but 
it's also failed upon the parish because we didn't have our water systems up and ready to go. Jersich says the parish has also only just begun to assess whether the damage from saltwater corrosion extends past home appliances to the parish's network of water lines and towers. If so, chemicals like lead could leach into the water. You know, I think we're going to see some long-term impacts. Got to definitely prepare ourselves. He says the parish is working on a master plan to fix its water infrastructure and make sure it's ready next time. Though, Jersich admits, that won't help with the current crisis. Those projects will take years to complete. Ultimately, the fight for fresh water won't end until rain falls across the Mississippi River. And a lot of it. In Port Sulphur, I'm Hallie Parker. The Louisiana Book Festival is returning to Baton Rouge at the end of the month. Two of this year's featured authors will be Mary Perrin and Beverly Fusilet, who will discuss their book, Healing Traditions of South Louisiana, Prayers, Plants, and Poultices. The co-authors released the book one year ago this month, where they dove into health and wellness traditions of Louisiana's Cajun, Creole, and Native American communities. And they join us now for more. Beverly, Mary, welcome to Louisiana Considered. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. Can you each start by telling me how you became interested in this subject? I know that you are both from the area of South Louisiana, known as Acadiana. So what were your early influences of Louisiana's unique healing traditions? Hi, this is Beverly. Um, I guess I got introduced to this because the tradition of traitors or healers that heal with prayers ran in my family. I was what they call treated as a child for sunstroke. I am from parents who were both uh, farmers kids and their parents actually did use some of the plants in the yard to help heal themselves and their children. And this is Mary. I didn't grow up with any traitors in my family, but I had an art gallery and about 15 years ago, the art gallery was uh, in Lafayette and we, during Festival International, we had a traitor. We invited him to come because we knew that the tourists and the festival goers would have aching backs and sore feet and everything. So we got a traitor to go and treat him. And everybody walked away after their treatment, just so happy, smiling, and it it was wonderful. And so later on, I just asked him, his name was Alan Seymour, you know, how did did you get to be a traitor? And he said it was passed down. And he said, well, I said, well, how does anybody else get to be a traitor if it's not passed down? And he said, well, all you have to do is ask Mary. (laughs) So I said, oh, okay, I'm asking. And he said, sure. So I met him at... Burger King, <laughs> and over French fries and Cokes, he taught me the prayers and taught me what to do. And that was that was 15 or so years ago, maybe 20 by now. And uh, I've been at it ever since and just loving it. Of course, the title of your book mentions three distinct healing approaches, prayers, plants, and poultices. Let's start with prayer. Tell us about the role of religion, spiritualism, and perhaps even voodoo when it comes to these healing methods. This is uh, this is Beverly. We, we base the book on what's happening around us in Acadiana. And the prayers, it's such a Roman Catholic tradition. There are so many Catholics here 
it it just made sense that we would absolutely use those Roman Catholic prayers to treat. And they are passed down. They are very specific. Some of them are very specific towards a certain illness. And we do have some general prayers that, you know, treat everything. The plants, Mary and I are both master gardeners. And so we, that's how we met. We work at a healer's garden that is located, located at Vermilionville, Creole culture, Acadian and Creole culture village. It, it's a long name. Yeah, historical. Yeah, yes. historical village. <laughs> folk by folk. It's in uh, Lafayette. In that garden, we specifically grow medicinal plants that we know were used by the Acadians, Creoles, and Native Americans. And poultices, we just needed another P word, and it just made sense to follow <laughs> because some of those plants, a lot of them become teas. That's where, that's how we're going to get our medicine out of those plants. But some of them do become poultices. They are topically applied to, you know, to your wounds or your aching joints or swollen areas. And uh, I don't know, the three words just work well together. And speaking of plants and poultices, tell us more about using the natural world and environment when it comes to healing. What were some examples? So an example, the most common thing in Acadiana, the most common medicinal plant, it's in English, the English common name of it is ground cell bush, but in our area, no one knows it by the English name. Uh, we all know it, even though people don't speak a word of French, they know the word of that plant in French, and it's monglier. And so you just take a branch of that off, you just break it off, wash it, drop it in boiling water and let it steep. And that's great for any kind of winter ailment, aches, pains, fevers. Um, it works for all of them. It tastes terrible. So uh, things that you can add to it to make it a little bit palatable are honey and cinnamon, or orange juice. Uh, when my son had COVID, he put whiskey. A lot of people put whiskey. It really works, but you have to keep taking it. You, you take maybe um, two cupfuls of tea a day uh, until you don't have any fever symptoms anymore, and then you can stop. We are speaking with authors Beverly Fuselet and Mary Perrin, who co-wrote the book Healing Traditions of South Louisiana, Prayers, Plants, and Poultices. In your book, you write about different healing traditions for Louisiana's Cajun, Creole, and Native American communities. In which ways do those groups have different and similar approaches when it comes to health and wellness? And, and this is Mary. I will say that um, way all three of these groups were French speakers, all of them. The uh, Native Americans had been converted to Catholicism in the 1600s by the Jesuit priests who taught them French. And then the black slaves came to Louisiana from Haiti where they uh, worked on sugar, sugar plantations. And it was a Haiti, which was Saint-Domingue at the time, was a French colony. So they learned French. So they all spoke French. They were all Catholic. And so uh, all the traditions were pretty easily passed from one group to another that way, through the religion and through the language. Unfortunately, very few people know how to make the medicinal remedies anymore, but the medicinal plants are still here. They're everywhere. They're under your feet. They're in ditches and fields and scrubby places. Uh, they're even in the cracks of the sidewalks. 
Mother Nature is so generous. They're still there. There's a little um, plant that grows in the cracks of the sidewalks at Vermilionville at our garden, and it's called Pony's Foot. And if you pull it out from between the cracks of the sidewalks and wash it off and drop it in boiling water and let it steep to make a tea, it will lower your blood pressure. So, I mean, these plants are amazing. They, and, and they will sometimes cure three or four or five or six different conditions. I know that writing this book had to involve a lot of research. What were some of the most surprising things you learned and who were some of the most influential people you spoke with? This, this is Beverly, and I uh, did want to mention, you asked about the most surprising. When I uh, got to the plants, and it took whew, about three and a half years to, you know, do that research, but the most surprising thing was how old. I kept finding Hippocrates' name coming up, the Greeks, the Romans, even the Druids, and I realized that these plants were way more than just something that grew around them. They associated them with a lot of um, superstition. So I was surprised about the um, the breadth and width of history that went with every single one of them. They've been on this planet a very long time. And, and one more thing that I learned that was exhilarating was the strength of the oral tradition. I found I was... Uh, in the archives at UL, and I was looking up Traitor prayers, and a lot of the um, healer traditions in different cultures um, borrow from each other. So I found that there is a group, they are the Pennsylvania Dutch powwow. I don't know where that name comes from, but I can only imagine. I found a prayer that they used in a publication from 1828. And I kept researching and I kept researching and they speak Pennsylvania Dutch, which is a form of German. So I went further back, further back. And then in the 1500s, I found the same prayer from Germany. And I just kept going, I kept going, I kept going. I found the same prayer. And then of course they're all translated into English. I found the same prayer from the 1300s. So that's how strong the oral tradition uh, has been over the eons, and that was exciting to me. Beverly Fuselet and Mary Perrin, who co-wrote the book Healing Traditions of South Louisiana, Prayers, Plants, and Poultices. They will also be featured authors at the 2023 Louisiana Book Festival. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having us. You're we, welcome, and we thank you. It. From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Internationally renowned Complexion's Contemporary Ballet co-founder-choreographer Dwight Roden and six-time Grammy-nominated New Orleans visionary jazz trumpeter and composer Chief Ajawa, formerly Christian Scott, are joining forces with a special season-opening performance of a New Orleans Ballet Association-commissioned world premiere that will also feature music by Lenny Kravitz. Dwight Roden joins us now. Welcome to Louisiana Considered. Thank you. Glad to be here. 
Your contemporary ballet company, Complexions, founded by you and Desmond Richardson, has enjoyed a long-standing relationship with the New Orleans Ballet Association, known as NOBA. What does that mean to you as you return to open this new season? Well, it's really great because we've been um, partnering with NOBA probably since very shortly after the company was started in 1994. In fact, it was one of our first domestic performances here in the United States. And so the relationship with NOVA is sort of (laughs) ongoing. And um, what's wonderful is that they continue to commission new work with us where we are able to collaborate with New Orleanian, you know, jazz uh, musicians. And we teach in their programs. They have tuition-free programs for young people. So we've been involved with them almost 30 years. This is our 29th season. So it, it means a lot because I really appreciate what their mission is all about and how they bring young people into the fold. And then they also support artists like myself and companies like Complexions who can have a chance to work with and collaborate with musicians that they might not normally have the exposure to or have the chance to collaborate with. So it means a lot. It's it's very cool, our relationship. Now, Complexions is known for innovative dance and pushing the envelope. How did the idea for this new work come about, and what is it that excites you about it? Well, I have to say, uh, Ginny Hamilton, the executive director at NOBA, brought the opportunity to myself and Complexions, and we were looking at a lot of different musicians, but I have to say, Chief was one of the ones that came up, and I listened to, like, right away, and I connected immediately. The music itself is so progressive. You know, you hear elements of the jazz, of classic jazz, but you also hear elements, you know, there's beats, there's vocals that have a West African essence to them. I love the fact that it was so eclectic in how it was put together, and it was genre-defying, really, in a way. And I think that that was very attractive to me, because that's what I like to do with my work, is not put it in a box, but really, you know, reach outside of the, (laughs) uh, you know, color outside the lines a little bit and experiment. Yeah. So let's get into the program. Many of our listeners know Chief Ajua, formerly Christian Scott, as the grandson of Louisiana Luminary, the late Vic Chief Donald Harrison Sr., and nephew of renowned jazz saxophonist Donald Harrison Jr. Chief Ajawa is also an originator of stretch music. How will you incorporate his music in your contemporary dances? What will audiences experience? Well, we've choreographed, um, it's actually a brand new quartet. Chief and his band will be on stage, so it'll be all in view. And this new quartet, it's called Blood Calls Blood. For me, um, what we've done, you know, from the perspective of the new work, the piece is about legacy and connection to the past and to the future. And you're going to see a very physical, dynamic dance. You'll hear Chief playing live. It's going to be very exciting. I just love the music, and the dancers are just really, really uh, owning it, I should say. They love the music as well, so they're really into it. So I'm very excited to present it. Very dynamic quartet and with Chief right there on stage. Wow. Now this is coming from his latest CD? Yes. Blood Calls Blood. That's the title to one of the songs that we're using. Um, There's another song called Bark Out Thunder, Roar Out Lightning. 
that is one of the other songs that we're using for this project. And can you describe a dance or two for us? Of Chief's piece? Yes. It's physical, athletic. Uh, it's very contemporary in terms of the use of the upper body. The upper body is very fluid, and um, they are also using sort of a technical base to it. So there's a classicism underneath all of it in terms of the movement. So there's a lot of angles and lines, and there's a huge amount of rhythms as well that take place in the body, you know, obviously emanating from the music itself, and the dancers are following that. So it's really one of those pieces where there's duet work, there's pas de deux work, but then there's also separate dancing and ensemble. You know, it's about 12, almost 13 minutes, the piece itself. It goes through a lot in those 12, 13 minutes. And you are also dancing to music by singer-songwriter Lenny Kravitz. Do the musicians' musical styles complement each other, or does it move in a different direction? I think the program itself that we're bringing to the Mahalia Jackson is very uh, diverse and eclectic in its nature. You have everything on that program from Bach to Chief to Lenny Kravitz. There's a lot of variety there. Um, but I think that the uh, Lenny Kravitz work is a compliment. It's the, it's the final act of the evening, so it's after intermission. And it's sort of the longest work you'll see. Um, and it's a full company piece. So um, I think it complements. We've done a lot with the theme of love. It's called Love Rocks, the piece itself. And if you know Lenny Kravitz, a lot of his songs, he's singing about love. And this piece, that is the message driven home. The style is contemporary ballet. Uh, the girls are on point. There's a lot of partnering and ensemble. There's a big energy to it. It's very celebratory. It celebrates love. Wow. Now, I understand you are taking this world premiere on a tour around the globe. What message will this collaborative work send to the world about contemporary dance and about New Orleans? I think it will let people know that, you know, there really are no boundaries to what um, contemporary ballet can express. And the fact that we're using a New Orleanian jazz musician and that this collaboration, I think it will have a, a real resonance with people because of the nature of the piece. It's very organic and there's also a great deal of vibrancy to the way that Chief plays these songs. They really create a beautiful environment. It's like the sonic environment of the music itself is uh, quite special and he's vocalizing, he's also singing on these tunes, along with the company who, you know, are using their bodies in a very fluid way and following his voice and the music. I think it's going to be a really special moment for Complexions, for sure, and hopefully for Chief, where we can bring these two, you know, <laughs> different genres, music and dance together, and people can see how beautiful these things can work together. So I'm excited. Yeah. Internationally renowned Complexions Contemporary Ballet co-founder, choreographer Dwight Broden. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Oh, thank you. Nice to talk to you again. The New Orleans Ballet Association presents Complexions Contemporary Ballet in performance on Saturday, October 21st at the Mahalia Jackson Theater. More info is available at nobadance.com.
From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you've been listening to Louisiana Consider. I'm Diane Mack. Thanks to our guest, authors and trade tours, Beverly Fusillet and Mary Perrin, and Complexion's Contemporary Ballet co-founder, Dwight Roden. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our assistant producer is Aubrey Procell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.